Amen. So we're in Acts, and based upon the content of the last four chapters, here's what I'm going to do. Between this week and next week, I'm going to wrap things up and basically do a lot of summarization and stop at key verses so we can, you know, get lessons out and understand what's going on. So after that, so two more weeks, this week and next week, then after that, I'm going to start a six-week topical study in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Some of you might remember a couple of different times I've taken topics from Proverbs because Proverbs is really to know and understand wisdom. So I'm going to pick pertinent topics to help us understand a little bit about how to be wise before the Lord. So today, what we're going to do is pick up at the end of chapter 24, and then I'm going to summarize chapters 25 and 26. So at the end of chapter 24, if you remember, Paul was in Roman custody, and basically what happens here is this. When two years had elapsed, so Paul was in custody for two years, Felix, who was the governor, if you remember, was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So now Paul is in Roman custody. He's been there for two years. So we don't really know much about what happened. Remember, he had that last altercation with Felix. Felix came and spoke to him, and Paul kind of challenged him, you know, about righteousness. Like, you're a sinner and need a savior. And Felix was like, I'll hear you some other time. We don't know anything about Felix now. We don't know if you ever heard him another time. It's not recorded or anything like that. But now... Portius Festus is the governor. So basically in Acts chapter 25 verses 1 through 12, Festus sends Paul to Caesar. So Festus, here's what happens. He went up to Jerusalem and talked to the chief priests. Remember this council of chief priests. They were the one accusing Paul. They were the ones saying Paul should be put to death. They were the ones saying that, like, okay, let's like fast until we kill Paul. That obviously didn't happen. Paul was in Roman custody. So Festus went up to Jerusalem to the chief priest and council and asked him to send Paul back to Jerusalem. They asked him to send Paul back to Jerusalem so they can try him. And remember, there was like an ambush kind of set up. So Festus, when he went back, basically Festus said, Paul is back in Caesarea and they can come down and testify against him. So the Jews went with Festus and Festus took his seat in the tribunal and he allowed the Jews to make their case against Paul. So Paul wasn't willing to go back up to Jerusalem. Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor, so he said to Paul, hey, you want to go back to Jerusalem to get tried? And, and Paul was like, you're crazy, okay? Because if I go up to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. I'm a Roman citizen, so I want to be tried down here. In fact, I want to be tried before the highest court. I want to be tried before Caesar. So Festus said, okay, you'll get your trial before Caesar. So now we fast forward a little bit to Acts 25, 13 through 27, and it's Paul before King Agrippa and his sister Bernice. So in the meantime, King Agrippa with his sister came to greet Festus because Festus was the new governor. Now, there's a lot of stuff about King Agrippa and his sister Bernice, okay? They weren't just brother and sister. They were a little sketchy, okay? So we're not going to go into that. So <laughs> King Agrippa was actually the governor of a Syrian kingdom called Chalcis. And he had the responsibility to actually supervise the temple in Jerusalem. And he was appointed by Claudius. So Agrippa knew a lot about 
the Jewish religion, so to speak. He knew what they believed. He knew what they were doing. So Festus, he was, the governor, was perplexed as to what could possibly be the charges that Paul was up against. So basically, he went, when King Agrippa paid a visit to Caesarea, Festus discussed Paul's case with him, thinking that Agrippa, being he knew the Jews and he knew how they worshipped and he knew what was going on, they might have, he might have more knowledge of the religious issues that were going on that involved Paul. Then Agrippa told Festus that he would like to hear from Paul. He would like to hear Paul testify. So Festus said, tomorrow you're going to hear him. We're going to bring him in and you're going to hear him. So the next day comes and Agrippa and Bernice come into the audience hall. I don't know how many people were there, but it was way more than are here. So they come in and the scriptures say with pomp and circumstance and all these military people. So they come in and Festus brings out Paul. So if you can imagine, in some senses, their little world was kind of focused now on Paul. And Festus brings Paul out and he says, here's Paul. We plan to send him to be tried before Caesar. But I don't want to send him to be tried before Caesar if I have no real charges against him. Because when they send him up to Caesar, basically they would send him with a letter. Here's Paul. Here's the charges. So Festus is like, I can't send Paul if we don't have anything really in writing, if we don't have any real reason, we're not going to waste Caesar's time if there's no real charge. Because remember, Paul has been like a pinball in a pinball machine now, right? He's been going before all these different people and nobody knows what to do. So then Paul get, has an opportunity actually to defend himself. At this point, Paul defends himself against the feeble accusation of the Jews. And the way that he does that is he points out that he is actually following God. And this is something all these Jews that are accusing him say they're doing as well. So again, here's what he does. He shares his testimony, like we saw him do in chapter 22. Remember, we studied how to share a testimony. And I said, if you want to share your testimony, you can email me your testimony. Well, four of you did that. So if you would like to do that, you can send me your testimony. I'll still take those. Um, you know, there, the four that sent them was an encouragement to me. So I'm glad to hear that and to hear your walk with the Lord. So remember, though, what Paul did in his testimony, if you remember, he started with the way he was brought up. And we talked about that. The way that we're brought up kind of really impacts kind of our life, right? The way that we're raised. So here's what Paul does. He says, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So Paul talks about his upbringing. He's like, you guys, you're all religious Jews. You know that I was brought up in a strict religious background, in a strict Jewish background. I was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. I was following the law. So Paul talks about this upbringing, but then in some senses, he makes his accusation against the Jews. So now 
He's giving his defense, but he kind of turns the table. So here's what he does. He says this. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So basically now Paul is saying here to these Jews, you guys are seeking to kill me. Haven't you spent your life trying to follow after God, learning about God's promises, learning about the promises to our fathers, worshiping him day and night? Don't you all hope in God? This is what you're saying, right? Your accusation against me is that I'm doing these things. I'm actually doing these things. Aren't you guys doing? So they're trying to bring charges against me, Paul is saying, because I hope in God. In fact, let's take it to a deeper level. Why do they think it's crazy that our God can raise the dead? Isn't that ridiculous that they would think it's crazy that there's something that God can't do? Don't they believe that God can do anything? Because you only imagine how these religious shoes are right now. Don't you believe that God can do anything? Didn't they learn this all their lives? Haven't they heard what the prophets said about the Messiah, about how he's going to come and save his people? So just when you think now, oh, these Jewish people are really going to be offended at this point. Just when you think, uh-oh, this is going to make them even more angry, he turns the table again. Then he identifies with them and moves on to his sinful actions. Remember in the testimony? Sinful actions, the things that we do to make us realize I need a Savior. So then what Paul does is he, he identifies with them. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So now what Paul says is, I was just like you guys. All you guys that want me dead, all you guys that don't agree with what I'm doing, I was just like you. I was one of you. I was trying to kill these people that followed the way. These Christians. Remember back in Acts 7, Stephen, the first Christian martyr? Well, the coats fell at the feet of Saul. Saul said, do it. Kill him. So now he's saying, I was just like you guys. I thought I was serving God. I really did. I thought I was serving God by getting rid of these Christians, by making their life difficult, by traveling to foreign lands to find them and to lock them up and to get them killed. But something happened to me, something that changed me forever. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. So then Paul goes into his conversion, and, and we all know about Paul's conversion because we've been studying Acts, right? He, he was converted in Acts chapter 9, 
And then he shares that testimony again in Acts 22, which we talked about a few weeks ago. But basically, in a nutshell, what happened was Paul was on the road to Damascus in Acts 26 through 12, 12 through 18, and he shares what happened. It says, and when we all had, and when, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> okay, what are goads? And who's kicking them, okay? So here's the thing. Goads were typically made from slender pieces of wood. They were blunt on one end and pointed at the other end. When farmers were plowing, they used these goads to poke the stubborn oxen that did not want to walk forward. So basically, if you were a farmer and you had oxen, you would have a goad and you would say, okay, let's go. And the, the ox is like, yeah, right. So then you poke it and the ox goes. And you poke it, and it goes, and you poke it, and it goes. But what happens when an ox kicks back against the goad? It hurts them, okay? Tears the flesh in their legs. Basically, what's happening here is when they kick, it causes greater pain, and then eventually the ox would say, oh, that hurts when I do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. So Jesus uses this term goads to really, in a sense, Remind Paul, as a Pharisee, you're kicking against what I desire you to do. And when you kick against what I desire you to do, you're hurting yourself. In fact, you're hurting other people. In effect, Jesus asks, why do you do something that is so hurtful to yourself and to others? You're never going to win, Paul. You will suffer. You will suffer. You will have negative emotions like anger, bitterness, and pride. Jesus knows the negative emotions and sinful goals only create a hardened heart and damage us. So he's saying, Saul, it's hard on you when you kick against the goads. In effect, Jesus points out how Saul is resisting God's work, not working on God's behalf. So Saul is saying this, or Paul is saying this, and saying to these people, you're kicking against the goads. You think you're working on God's behalf by getting me? So did I. So I want to stop here for a minute. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Is there something that you know God wants you to do, but you're fighting it? Is there something that you know God wants you to do, but you're fighting it? In other words, you're kicking against the goads like a stubborn ox. Is there something... Maybe it's serving in some area. Maybe it's serving in some area in the church. You kind of hear, oh, they need help with this, or they need help with that, or, oh, you know, I have this, this skill or this ability, but I'm going to keep that under wraps because then nobody will ask me, okay? Maybe God is kind of saying, hey, why don't you do that? You know, sometimes when, especially when it comes to service, if you're looking around saying, somebody needs to do this, maybe the somebody is actually you. And maybe God's saying, prick, 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 okay? Let's go. Let's go here. Maybe you're not making enough time for your family. Maybe you're making enough time for work and for your leisure activities and whatever you want to do, but you're not making enough time for your family. Maybe it's some sort of addiction that you're dealing with. God is saying, you can't live like that anymore. You keep hurting yourself 
but you love that addiction. Maybe it's getting into the Word. Ah, tomorrow I'll start that Bible plan. Oh man, 10 missed days. Ah, let's start over, okay? Maybe God is saying, get into the Word. Well, not maybe, I know He is. And you're saying, tomorrow, tomorrow. I don't have time. I'm sure these Netflix specials are more important for me to watch than getting into God's Word. Maybe it's being a better parent. Maybe you're a parent and you're like, I don't really know what to do. Remember when you first got to that point in your life when you're like, yo, my parents, they didn't really know what to do when they had me either, okay? They had to learn how to be parents. I mean, there's no like class, okay? They just, you know, we're just parents, right? They give you the kid and you're like, okay, got diapers. And, you know, you go home and then you figure it out. Well, maybe God's saying, spend some time learning about how to be a good and godly parent. Maybe it's being a better spouse. Maybe it's being a better worker. Whatever it is, maybe you're kicking against what God desires. So let's take what Jesus says to Paul as a warning for us. The more we kick, the more we hurt ourselves. You get that? The more you kick against, if you feel the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you feel that God desires you to do something, you know the right thing to do, but you're not doing it, the more you kick, the more you hurt yourself. And some of the saddest things are when I talk with people that are older and knew that they should have done things when they were younger, and then they're like, you know what? I finally woke up. I look back and see how much time I wasted. Some of you probably feel that way. Man, I should have did this 10, 15, 20 years ago. Much of the time, we don't do what we should be doing because we're lazy. Maybe we're afraid to commit. Maybe we love the way that we're living or acting. Or maybe it's just ignorance. That's why you need to get in the Word. A lot of times we have sins of ignorance. Okay, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I didn't know I was, I was supposed to do this. That's why we get in the Word. Whatever the reason, when you find out what God desires you to do, you're free to choose, aren't you? You're free to choose whatever you want. But if you go against God, guess what you're doing? You're kicking against the goads. Another thing I want to point out for this verse, and this is always interesting, I've probably talked about this before at some point. When Jesus talks to Saul, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you, perse- why are you persecuting me? Now, there's no historical content that Paul actually persecuted Jesus physically. So what Jesus is saying here is this. When you treat a believer in me badly, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. You're attacking the Lord. Meaning this, when someone attacks a believer, they're actually attacking the Lord. This is important for us as believers to remember, isn't it? When we deal with our fellow believers, what we do to them, it's like we're doing it to Jesus because they are the bride of Christ. The the scriptures teach us this. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus laid down his life for his bride, for us. So to make it more clear, if you're a man and you have a wife and someone disrespects your wife, does it bother you? You're like, oh, I'm glad they didn't do it to me. (laughs) No, it should bother you, shouldn't it? 
If someone disrespects your wife, it should bother you because it is your wife, okay? If it doesn't bother you, you're kind of a loser, okay? <laughs> because somebody treated your wife badly and it didn't bother you and you didn't stick up for her. So Jesus is saying, when you treat my followers badly, it bothers me. I take personal offense at this. So in Paul's case, what happened? Jesus stepped in, changed his life forever. He stepped in, appeared to him, and challenged him. Well, guess what? Jesus does step in on our behalf as well. Do you realize this? That's why we shouldn't worry or be discouraged. That's why we shouldn't be afraid to do what's right, even though everybody else is doing what's wrong. Because guess what? Jesus has our back. It makes me feel pretty good to know that Jesus, like if, if he tells me to do something and I do it and I follow through, even if it's unpopular, even if the world persecutes me, even if people mock me and make fun of me, no matter what, Jesus has my back. So Paul, at this point, tells Agrippa, because remember, he's making his defense before Agrippa, that Jesus gave him his calling to preach the gospel to Gentiles. So now what Paul is doing here is he's saying, I know why these religious Jews are upset with me. I know why they're mad at me. Because I followed Jesus, and what Jesus told me to do was to go and preach the gospel message to the Gentiles. And they are not happy about that. So it goes on. And he says this is the reason why he's supposed to preach to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. So now Paul takes this opportunity to preach the gospel, to tell Agrippa, to tell all the crowd, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to die in our place for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Remember before he said, how can you guys believe there's no resurrection? Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he was God. And all who believe will have eternal life. They'll turn from darkness to light. That's what happens when we believe in Christ. But here's another interesting point. And from the power of Satan to God, now, this is where, you know, when we're preaching the gospel to people, when we're talking to them, like we try to, you know, we try to use our words carefully. We don't want anybody to say anything. You know, we, we don't want them to get upset. But sometimes you just have to let people know. Before you were a Christian, you were under the power of Satan. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? Because think about your life. Now you're a Christian. You're like, it wasn't like I was battling to Satan or something. But there's only two powers. There's only two powers. We were under the power of Satan. Actually, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, 4 says that we are blinded by Satan. We're blinded by him. He wants nothing more than for people not to see who Jesus is. So Paul tells Agrippa, he says, hey, listen, this was my calling. This is why the Jewish people are mad at me now. So Paul tells Agrippa that he obeyed the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've been doing. We studied the entire book of Acts, right? And what do we see Paul do? Obey the Lord. He's telling the Gentiles. 
told the Jews, told the Gentiles. Told... Now in this last scene, though, in chapter 26, Paul tells Agrippa, here I'm being, I'm being accused now because of my obedience to the Lord. He preached in Jerusalem, he preached in Judea, and he preached to the Gentiles. So then he says to Agrippa, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this, to this day, I have a, the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim the light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Paul tells Agrippa, I was obedient to what the Lord told me to do. The Lord has been protecting me, right? My help comes from God. The Lord has been protecting me. And I was, all I was doing was teaching the people what they already knew from the prophets and from Moses. You study the Old Testament, you see Jesus on every page. Let me tell you that. You study, I mean, we've done many Old Testament books, and what do we see? We see Jesus. The whole Old Testament is basically like saying, look, here he comes, look, here he comes, look, here he comes, look, here he comes, look, here he comes. Paul was like, there he is. There he is. Now it's clear to me. So he's saying, it should be clear to these people. It should be clear to all you guys. Moses and the prophet said the Christ would suffer. The Christ would rise. Jesus is the Christ, and he is the light, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Now at this point, Festus, remember Festus, the governor? He pipes up and says, Paul, you're out of your mind! Yells in the assembly of people. Paul, you're out of your mind. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone tell you because you are a believer, you're out of your mind? You're crazy? Maybe simple? Naive? Have you ever had that? It's always fun. You know? It's always fun. Oh, your religion is a crush. A crutch. Why do you do this? You're wasting your time in that hour in church. Wait, you give money there? Are you crazy? You know what they do with that money? Yeah, we serve the Lord with it, right? Sometimes in life, we'll come across people who we try to share our faith with, and they don't understand. They don't understand. So they say, you're out of your mind. Now listen, we can get defensive, we can mock them back. I mean, those are the easy things to do, right? We can make fun of them. What's your belief system? How's that working out for you? You know, we can do that, right? Or we can do what Paul did. He answers with the facts. So this is what Paul says. I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king, talking about Agrippa, knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. So Paul is saying, Fest, uh, Agrippa, you know what's going on. 
you're in charge. You're, you're, you were appointed to kind of make sure everything's all right with the temple and the Jewish people in the temple. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Christ. You know these things. This hasn't been done in a corner. This is very public. We're not trying to like, you know, like sneak around and grab people and convert them. No, this is all out in the open. And now Paul directs a question right to Agrippa. Now, this is interesting. So you got this whole assembly. He's accusing the Jews, but identifying with the Jews as well and saying, I thought this way. Tells them his testimony. Tells them how Jesus showed up. Tells them how he now believes in Jesus and he moved from darkness to light, power of Satan to God. And now he looks right at Agrippa and he says this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Except for these chains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what an opportunity for Paul. King Agrippa, do you believe this? I know you do. You know what's going on here. Agrippa says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So some would say, like, you know, Agrippa was being uh, sarcastic here. You think you can persuade me to be a Christian in a short time? Or some were saying he was very open and he was saying, oh, in a short time, can you persuade me to be a Christian? But here's what Paul answers. And he said, you know what? Short or long, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm willing because you and your soul is important. You and your soul is important, which is the, really the final lesson we learn here is people's souls are worth our time. Now as a church, I want to encourage all of you here because through your offerings, through your time, through your service, you make a difference in this community. There's no doubt about it. You make a difference because you're showing that people's eternal lives are important. One thing that we want to remain very clear about and know that we're pure before the Lord is our goal is for people to trust in Jesus. It's not to come to the church, to build a bigger building, to any of those things. It's so people come to Jesus. If things like that follow, that's fine. But we believe that people's souls are worth our time. We believe that. Along with that, are there people in your life, maybe unbelievers in your life? You know what? Sometimes it's hard to admit. I don't really want to hang out with them. <laughs> I don't really want to spend time with them. I want to surround myself with the brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all like-minded and we all can go amen every time we say something because we all agree. And I agree with you. Sometimes I just want to be in that environment. But then I have to ask myself this question. Are the people that are unbelievers, that disagree with me, that disagree with you, that we don't see eye to eye, that they practice things that I don't want to practice or shouldn't be practicing. Are these people worth my time? And I have to say, yes, they are, because their souls are worth our time. 
Them coming to Jesus is worth it to me. But more importantly, it's worth it to God. They are worth our time. So think about your life. Who are you surrounded with? Who are you saying, eh, I don't really feel like spending much time with them because it's useless? Well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're in their life to point them to who Christ is. So the result is, at this point, And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this was Festus and Agrippa, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So guess what? Paul is going to be going to Caesar because he appealed. And Festus and Agrippa are saying, there's no charge I can bring against this guy. So next week, we're going to find out the dramatic conclusion to the book of Acts. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for the boldness of the Apostle Paul. And we're thankful, Lord, that he saw it fit to follow after you, that he stopped kicking against the goads. I pray, Lord, for us. If there is some way you're leading us and we're kicking against that, I pray, Lord, that we would stop kicking and follow after you. I pray for the people around us. I pray, Lord, that we realize that they're worth our time, their souls are worth our time, that we would spend the time praying for them, talking to them, and showing them who you are. And we're just so thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.